Welcome to Filmy Girls Idolcast. Hit it. of the Herman's Hermit song, Henry VIII, performed by, yes, the Tigers, in concert on January 24, 1971, with P on vocals and Julie playing the drums. This story again, I think it's important to mention here at the top that Kishibe Shiro, who will feature prominently in this episode, passed away on August 28th, 2020, at the age of 71. And my thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Um, and then just a reminder that this is part three of a three-part series. Um, episode one in this arc was episode 18, and that covers the tiger's beginnings um, in Kyoto, up to when they released their first single as a group um, in Tokyo. And then part two is episode 21, I believe. And that covers sort of their beginnings of their career as sort of chocolate box idols, you know, quite literally, actually. And then um, going up through where we pick up here, March of 1969, and... Yeah, with Tiger's guitarist Topo just about to leave the band. So here we are, <laughs> March of 1969. And Topo, after months of trying to leave the band, only to be talked into staying, had finally just pulled a runner, walking out of a recording session as if to go on break, and then just not returning. So this left Julie, lead vocals, Sally on bass, P, drums, 
and Taro, second guitar, to pick up the pieces. Somewhere amid the anger, hurt feelings, and worry over responsibilities and contracts, the decision was made to simply slot in a new member to take over for Topo. They had five stage costumes, ergo, they needed five members. In a very telling move, the Tigers didn't go out and get another guitarist. Nor did they go through Watanabe Productions to get a new member who was aiming for a show business career. Instead, they put in an emergency call to America, where Sally's brother Shiro was working, and they asked him to come back to Tokyo. The Tigers' new member would be the quiet, familiar, sweet-natured Shiro, who couldn't play an instrument or really sing and had no real desire to be on stage, but who loved his brother, and more importantly, who still believed in the Tigers. It was the beginning of the end. As P would later say about Topo leaving the group, it was like a spell had been broken. Despite his growing unhappiness, P had been holding on to the dream that the five of them had brought from Kyoto, that they would be the best band in the world together. And when Topo left, he took that dream with him and P slowly began to allow himself to think about what it was that he wanted to do. What was it that would make him happy? And we'll let him ponder that. First, let's find out what happened to Topo. Where did he go? Well, he went to his Chianti family, the loose collection of regulars who orbited around Chianti, the Italian restaurant in Roppongi, and more specifically around Tantan, the hostess with the mostess, proprietress, um, who held court over the salon there. Over the years, Topo had struck up a close friendship with Tantan, and although Tantan didn't want the Tigers to break up, don't forget that not only had she provided numerous stage costumes for them, but she was also friendly with the other members, um, especially Sawada Kenji, Julie. But the difficult Topo, going by Katsumi now, had a special place in her heart. Katsumi hid out with one of Tantan's acquaintances for a few days while she talked some sense into him, eventually getting him to phone Watanabe Misa, their talent agent, to make arrangements to formally leave the band and to get his passport back from the company. A few days later, Katsumi was on his way to Europe, to London, and then Paris, to spend some time under the care of Tantan's friends there. I was a free man in Paris. I felt unfettered and alive. There was nobody calling me up for favors. Future to decide. You know, I go back there tomorrow. But for the work I've taken on, stoking the star maker machinery behind the popular song. Meanwhile, on March 14, 1969, Shiro arrived at Haneda Airport, looking for all the world like just a regular guy. He had long, shaggy hair, he's wearing jeans. He was not prepared for the crowd of reporters and bickering Tigers fans who greeted him. Standing awkwardly to one side, waiting for his brother to come pick him up, listening to fans loudly complain that he didn't look anything like an idol. I don't think any of us would have blamed Shiro if he had stepped right back on that plane and flown back off. Shiro was immediately whisked off to get cleaned up. His long, shaggy, hippy-dippy hair was trimmed and neatened. 
Regular guy clothes were replaced with Watanabe Misa approved outfits. As a latecomer and someone who could not play an instrument, Shido received only two-thirds the salary of the other members, but he received the full force of the Tiger's entertainment treadmill. On March 15th, Shido appeared at a press conference announcing his joining the group. On March 16th, he was filming for a Meiji chocolate advertisement. On March 19th, he appeared on television for the very first time. Shido's singing voice was a gentle tenor, and while it wasn't a complete one-to-one swap with Topo, nobody could match the emotional power of Kahashi Katsumi's voice, the range was close enough that Shiro could be trusted with harmonies and, eventually, to sing lead on Topo songs like Hana no Kubigasuri. what was he supposed to do on stage though? So at first he was given a tambourine to shake, but Julie complained that the sound was annoying. So they took away his tambourine and gave him a tambourine that didn't make any noise. So while Katsumi was jetting off to Europe, Shiro was shaking his noiseless tambourine and his new haircut trying to fit into idle life. And P was having a mini crisis. You see, he'd fallen in love with a French girl. at Club Pash in Ropongi, and she hadn't known him as the Tiger's P. To her, he was just a cute guy, and P found that, found her, irresistible. The two fell head over heels in love, and P even began learning French. It was just bad timing for P that just around the time that Katsumi went AWOL, his lady friend had to return to France, and with a band in crisis, there was nothing he could do about it. For the first time, P, Hitomi Minoru, really understood the straitjacket of idle life and what he had to give up to remain in the spotlight, and he was heartbroken. On April 21st, 1969, the Tiger's final single with Topo was released, Utsukushiki Ai no Ukite, The Beautiful Spirit of Love. The single was advertised as Topo's final single, and he featured with the group on the cover, and they were all dressed in their white hippie dippy suits. They were all hidden in shadow, except for, in some very unsubtle foreshadowing, Julie, who alone was bathed in light. The lyrics were again by author Nakanishi Rei, but the music this time was from producer, songwriter, jazz enthusiast, and member of that greater Kianti family, Murai Kunihiko, 
who, for trivia lovers, is the father of music director Hiro Murai, who did the Childish Gambino song Welcome to America, among others. The single rocks much harder than any of their previous releases, hinting perhaps at Murai's move in the 70s to producing more experimental acts like Yellow Magic Orchestra. The angry, crunchy guitar dropping riffs throughout the whole song, Sally's bass roaming wildly underneath, the ghostly chorus of voices on the bridge, the chaos of the sound as it builds, distortion growing, and then check this out. Everything cuts out. fantastic rock song and actually sounds a lot like what later you know quote supergroup unquote pig would end up doing but i'm getting ahead of myself despite the promotional push and the crackling power contained in the song the single only got to number four on the chart you still like the tigers girls began to say Meanwhile, P was also planning his disappearance for when their obligations ended in May. He hadn't forgotten his lady friend in France. P went as far as getting his passport back from Watanabe Productions, but Taro and Sally caught wind of his plan and went to his apartment to confront him. As P told it later, they asked him to hold off until September, until they could properly disband the group. It was the first time the possibility had really been floated. The group sound's bubble was beginning to deflate. Rock was on the way out. Could they continue as the Tigers even if they wanted to? Hana no Kubigazari, Ginga no Romance, that double A-side, was the fifth biggest selling single of 1968, and other group sound's bands like the Tempters and the Darts filled out the rankings below them. By 1969, the highest charting group sound song would be the Tigers' melancholy Aoi Tori, which I discussed in the last episode and that came in at number 26. The chart would be dominated by Inca singer Fujikeko. Group Sounds was over. The next two Tiger singles released that summer of 1969, the solemn Nageki and the sugary Smile For Me, were both backdoor demos for a Julie solo career. Both songs were the type of orchestral, emotional, vocal-driven pop that would absolutely explode in the 1970s when male solo idols like Saijo Hideki, and yes, spoiler alert, one Mr. Sawada Kenji, aka Julie, reign supreme. Smile For Me was written by the Bee Gees Barry and Maurice Gibb and sounds exactly like it was written by Barry and Maurice Gibb of the Bee Gees. With lyrics all in English, it was also a test balloon for Julie in the Western market. It was even recorded in June of 69 in London when the Tigers moved camp to the swinginest city in Europe in order to network and film their third and final movie, High London. Smile. Oh 
Remembering at this point, Shido would have been in the group less than three months. Barely enough time to unpack his suitcase from America before jetting off again halfway across the globe. High London is not a great work of art, but it is an incredible time capsule of this era. And in that respect, I find it utterly fascinating. The plot, you know, such as it is, goes like this. The tigers are trapped by fame, boxed in by fans, and can't even take a goddamn dump in peace. An early scene has P wistfully listening to a baseball game on the radio as they travel from one venue to another. The Tigers are visited by a demon who offers them a deal. He can freeze time and give them freedom, but if they don't return before the clock runs out, he gets to keep their souls. It's a deal the Tigers are willing to take, and at least half of the film... The first part is spent in montage of the tigers wandering around the greater Tokyo area, free from crowds, with just like these giant smiles plastered on their faces. The second half introduces our old friend Kumi Kaudi as a young woman searching for the music her late composer father left behind in London. Although it's not made explicit, Kaudi was also trapped by the tiger's fandom. She'd suffered a great deal of stress and anxiety from jealous tiger's fans who had hounded her constantly because of her perceived closeness with the group. Kaudi appears sparingly in the film, and it would be her last. Despite her charm and her talent, she would leave show business not long after it was released. While in Europe, P took the opportunity to go visit his lady friend in France. And while he was there, he spent some time with his old friend Katsumi, who was living his best life, not wearing prince costumes, taking long walks without being stalked by fans, sketching in cafes without being told to do it in a more idol-like way, and eating his fill of jambon beurre. But the battles between Topo and Julie were far from over. And as Julie was in London gearing up to record and release his first solo album, Katsumi was doing the same in Paris. Everything he had not been allowed to do when he was in the Tigers, he was going to do now. P must have been sorely tempted to stay in France, but he dutifully returned with the rest of the Tigers to Japan, holding on to the promise given to him by Sally and Taro. But then September came and went, and the Tigers did not disband. And the mood of the group curdled even further, as it came out that Julie was now making ten grand to Shiro's four to the rest of the Tigers' six. Pete decided that he would take one year to save up everything he could, and then it was over. He gave himself a budget of 500 yen a day, and he was going to squirrel the rest away in savings. And the description in the Tiger's biography of P's budget is actually very cute. It's, um, it really is a shame somebody hasn't translated this book into English. But anyway, uh, Katsumi also returned to Japan 
after snagging a plum role in the very first Japanese production of the musical Hair. Give me a head with hair, long beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxen, waxen. Give me down to there, shoulder length longer. being produced by his Chianti buddy, Tenten stepson, Kawazoe Shoro. And the play ran in Tokyo at the Toyo Hall from December 5th, 1969 to February 25th, 1970. And as you know, I love outfit descriptions. So I will tell you that Katsumi's style upon his return in Tokyo is described as a, quote, hippie style, which means, in this case, white trousers and a snakeskin vest accessorized with a bracelet from Damascus, and very groovy. Now hair, as I said in the last episode, 50 plus years after it came out, seems extremely campy and extremely dated. In large part, this is because the counterculture from which hair grew out of has basically won the culture wars. When our biggest CEOs are shaggy-haired and wearing blue jeans, and when students at elite universities are tattooed and wearing, you know, logo t-shirts, a song like, you know, Hair, about demonstrating your inner rebelliousness through styling, seems kind of ridiculous. But at the time, the reaction to the quote, long hairs, was hostile. The dominant culture at the time was a lot more formal and rigid regarding appearance. Men actually were harassed by the police, they're called gay, or women, for having long hair. The musical pushed at all of the boundaries of mainstream culture and included positive depictions of things that we now take for granted as normalized, like marijuana and homosexuality and interracial relationships. Um, And at the time, I mean, all of this was considered very provocative. So the story of hair is that of a young man from the countryside, Claude, who is in New York City for the very first time in order to serve out his draft notice. This was the role that Katsumi played. Claude is at something of a loss with what to do with himself, and he falls in with a bunch of hippies, and, spoiler alert, at the end of the play, he ends up, you know, going off to war and is killed. It's essentially a big excuse for a review of some great rock songs and discussions about, like, freedom, man, and how society's, like, boxing you in and, like, making your choices for you. Who's to say what the proper length of, like, your hair should be? I mean, they grow from your head, man. They grow from your head. Isn't that, like, freaky deaky? (laughs) Not all the elements translated well from the American cultural context, um, but enough of the underlying messages connected, and the play became something of a cultural phenomenon when it finally premiered. Hikaru Hoshi, Shinjitsu, Shin 
Katsumi's embrace of the flower children didn't mean that he was done with the music business. And as summer turned to fall, Katsumi once again began popping up in magazines like Teen Look to talk about his post-Tiger's life. The tension was palpable in Tiger's fandom. Don't call him Tapo, girls scolded each other. He's Katsumi now. And then in December of 1969, Katsumi and Julie went head-to-head again as their solo albums fought in the charts. Katsumi with his Paris 69, and Julie with what else? Self-titled Julie. Julie, released December 15, 1969, is a smooth, polished record in line with the singles released over the summer. A lot of swelling strings and soft melodies, with lyrics again by Zuzu, and music by Murai Kunihiko, his last work with the Tigers team. Julie was setting himself apart from both the princely teen dream image and the more hippy-dippy rock image that Tigers had been experimenting with. He was positioning himself as something of a crooner of romantic ballads, somebody mothers and daughters alike could enjoy. And just to hammer home that Julie was becoming bigger than the Tigers, the lead single for the album, Kimi o Yurusu, I Forgive You, released December 1st, 1969, was released as a Tiger single, backed by Love, 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 a song that takes the Beatles' 1967 Summer of Love anthem, All You Need Is Love, and raises both the grooviness and the schmaltz by about approximately 1,000%. Plus there's a slide guitar. And it ends on this, like, (laughs) instead of All You Need Is Love, they sing Love, love, love. Love, 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 love is the limit. Love, 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 love is everything. released December 20th, 1969, is now out of print, difficult to find, and has been completely written out of the canon, but it's a folk rock gem just waiting to be rediscovered. 
very much in line with Katsumi's work with the tigers in the human renaissance days. Katsumi himself wrote, you know, a good chunk of the lyrics and some of the music even on Paris 69. And he also included a very charming cover of classic French garage rock band Le Coeur's Bye Bye City in English. for the album was the solemn Hana no Sekai, Flower World, with lyrics by Katsumi and music by our friend, yes, Murai Kunihiko. Hana no Sekai fits right into the peace, love, and understanding themes that Katsumi had soaked up in his travels and in his embodiment of Claude in hair. Until the day comes when we create our flower world, let's hold hands and move forward together. The melody gently rises with the hopeful sentiment and builds to a small crest before sinking again back into the present. It's a gentle, delicate song and plays to Katsumi's biggest strength as a vocalist, his ability to emote.
So Julie's self-titled album made it to number two on the album chart, selling over 150,000 copies in that first week, ranking in just behind the super popular Inca singer Mori Shinichi. Not bad for a teen idol. And Katsumi? Well, just after Hair closed in Tokyo in February 1970, and before the Osaka run of the play was about to start, he and his Chianti buddy, hair producer Kawazoe Shoto, were arrested for marijuana possession. And just like that, both hair and Katsumi's career as a teen idol were over. While nowhere near as drastic or devastating as the Korean marijuana wave of arrests, this incident also seemed to be something of a warning to the cosmopolitan art scene in Tokyo. Just because hippies smoke weed in London and Los Angeles doesn't mean it's gonna fly in Japan. It was the final nail in the coffin of the GS era and the end of mainstream rock and roll for some time. In the Tiger's biography, at this point in the story, the author goes on a little detour into Katsumi's persona and his relationship with the fans. And who am I to argue with his framing? Katsumi is quoted as saying, here I'll translate, Honestly speaking, back in the Tigers era, there was a side of me who made fun of the fans. I thought they were all posers doing cheap girls' hobbies, and they didn't understand anything beyond the pretty surface. I took them for granted. However, when I returned home, I read every single fan letter, and they weren't even a little bit pandering. For example, they said things like, When you make yourself completely understood through your music, I'll believe in you. I couldn't say a word. I'd completely misunderstood them. And even though Katsumi was no longer with the Tigers, his former bandmates also came under suspicion of marijuana use, which they were understandably quite resentful about, as did the rest of the Chianti crowd, with lyricist Yasui Kazumi, aka Zuzu, also getting arrested. Katsumi spent most of that year of 1970 reflecting on himself and his career, and apparently being chaperoned by his mother who came to visit her troublesome son in Tokyo three to four times a month. And then on September 26, 1970, on a rainy evening at the Hibiya Park Open Air Concert Hall in Tokyo, Katsumi made his return, saying, I'm so unbelievably grateful for the more than 2,000 fans who have gathered here in the rain that it's making me cry. But since the, Tiger mem the Tigers members were not able to come, I can't erase my sadness about it. There were downsides to going solo too, like not having four friends at your back when the shit hits the fan. And as for the rest of the Tigers, well, they'd made the decision to disband. For real this time. No takebacks. And they couldn't just add a new drummer. They'd tried carrying on after Katsumi had left, but the magic was gone. If P left the group, it was over. They originally wanted to disband in September, right around the time Katsumi was having his comeback concert, but the company convinced them to hold on until January 1971. The end was finally in sight. As Julie later said, when they were at their peak, he just assumed that they were going to carry on this way forever. And then suddenly, they weren't. Julie's star was on the rise, as the group sound scene was crumbling all around them. The Tigers, Japan's first real idol group, had gone as far as they were going to go. But before they parted ways, the Tigers would give their fans one last gift. As fate would have it, the group who began with the Beatles would also end with the Beatles. Just around the time that the Tigers were discussing disbandment in the spring of 1970, Paul McCartney announced that he was no longer working with the Beatles, and immediately afterwards he released his first solo album. A sweet, somewhat understated, well as understated as Paul McCartney ever gets, album recorded at his home studio and just called 
McCartney. The drama around the Beatles breakup is a story that has been told like a billion times in English. So, <laughs> it's been told so many times. So I won't go into it here except to say that the Beatles' decision to release a final goodbye album, and yes, I know it's complicated, um, was one that resonated with the Tigers. And so on July 1st, 1970, they released Superashi Ryoko, Wonderful Journey, which was backed with Chiriyuku Seishun, Falling Youth. The music for both of these songs was written by the great Kaio Kyoku songwriter Yamagami Michio, with Julie writing the lyrics for Subarashi Ryoko and Taro writing the lyrics for Chiriyuku Seishun. This single reached number 15 on the Oricon charts, selling 134,000 copies. Chiriyuku Seishun is a somber chamber pop song, complete with harpsichord and a medieval-sounding chorus anchored by Sally's deep bass voice. The lyrics are equally somber, speaking of the end of a romance, an inevitable parting of the ways, two paths that just must diverge. Tsuburashi Ryoko, on the other hand, is a saucy throwback blues song punctuated with a honking berry sax and propelled forward by this like incredible roving bass line. It's the kind of song that Julie, back when he was just Sawada, would have really sunk his teeth into up on stage at Namba Ichiban in Osaka. The lyrics are an invitation to join Julie on a new journey. A wonderful trip, destination unknown. arrangement was done by somebody we have not been introduced to yet in these episodes. That is Inoue Takayuki, aka Inuyan from the Spiders. 
Now, I've talked about the spiders in previous episodes, and I mentioned they would come back up again, and here they are. The spiders had also seen the death knells of group sounds in their dwindling audiences through the summer of 69, and like the tigers, they had spent 1970 in the process of disbanding and setting up their solo careers. The mercurial monsieur just flat out quit. Boyishly handsome singer Sakai Masaki, meanwhile, landed his first drama role in a long-running morning soap opera. Inoue Takeyuki from Kobe, a port city fairly close to the Tigers' own Kyoto. He just wanted to keep playing guitar, man, and he would. On August 22nd, the Tigers held their Tigers Sounds in Coliseum concert which would later be released as a live recording in February 1971. The first half of the set is all rock covers anchored by the garage rock trio, real heart of sort of the tiger sound, which is Pete, Sally, and Taro. And then Julie kind of takes center stage for the second half, which ends with the bombastic, utterly devastating Love, Love, Love. Tearing up with emotion during the breakdown, he tells the fans that he'll hold on to this feeling, even as the five of them walk on their separate path. え、本当にありがとうございます。本当のこと言って僕たちは本当に大勢の皆さんの前でできるとは思ってませんでした。今の気持ちを忘れないようにこれからそれぞれ December 7th, the Tigers announced to the media they were going to disband. Sally emphasized that there were no hard feelings between them, and that he and Julie would be forming a new band with, yes, Spiders Inuyan, along with another friend you may remember from the previous episode, the Tempters Hagiwara Kenichi, aka Shoken, aka Julie's rival for the hottest guy in Japan, and a handful of other ex-group sounders. Taro and Chiro would also be forming bands of their own and remaining in show business. And P, the only thing he had to say was, I quit. On December 15th, the Tigers released their final studio album, Freedom, Hope, and Friendship. It's a bittersweet album, but out of all the Tigers albums, it's the one I find myself returning to again and again. The album opens with Shipatsu no Hoka ni Nani ga Aru, What Is There After Departure? a folksy song written by Taro, and which opens with this devastating bit of narration from Sawada. A young person's soul is a battlefield, with the fighting, 
blood flows. Young people don't know why it is this way. In order to know, they gather comrades around them. In this way, wonderful meetings occur. Wonderful meetings. In order to know, young people must set out on a journey. It can be painful to make the decision, but when they set off, the young people sing joyfully. Closes with the equally devastating Tsukai no Ashita, Promise for the Future, with lyrics again by the great Yamagami Michio, music and arrangement by Kunikawachi of the Fukuoka based group sounds band, The Happenings 4. Kunikawachi has a wonderfully off kilter sense of melody, jumping lightly from note to note, and a quick plug for his 1972 solo album here, Boku no Koe ga Kikoeru Kai. Can you hear my voice? Another long out-of-print album that deserves to be remastered and reissued. So this song opens with a whimsical recorder solo, <laughs> and from there just builds and builds until the ending, which, which you know, it's the last song on the album, and it just trails off as if the tigers could not bear to be parted from us. The guitar lingers, like, it just lingers. And, and the lines, you know, Ashita ni mukate. Facing tomorrow, we're heading that way too. Thank <laughs> you. 
started this episode, January 24th, 1971, the Tigers held their final concert, the Tigers' beautiful concert, at the Budokan in Tokyo. 10,000 fans cried, screamed in the headlines the day after, and they weren't wrong. Luckily for us now, in the future, the concert was filmed for television and broadcast on Fuji TV on January 30th, 1971, and it lives on in bootleg versions, which means you can really experience the catharsis and heavy emotion for yourself. The girls sobbing in the audience, the members holding back tears on stage. At one point, Sally points up at the balcony to the spot where they had sat, you know, five years earlier when the Beatles had been there, and you know, even now, like 50 years later, like just try not to cry. Just try. Oh, it's devastating. And when it was over, P got on a train for Kyoto and did not speak to his old school friends or even touch a drum kit for 40 years. On April 10th, 1971, Julie and Sally's new supergroup, Pig, released their first single, Hana Tayo Ame. spider Inoue Takeyuki, who had worked with the Tigers just a few months earlier. The song is an anthem, the opening salvo of the 1970s and what would be called new rock. 
light years away from the frenetic garage rock and cheeky lyrics of the 60s. This new rock sound was meant to be experienced on quality hi-fi equipment. You know, I'm assuming sitting on a beanbag chair and gazing at the liner notes. Is a slow, thoughtful ballad. Note the actress or virtuoso playing, despite the talent for both contained within the group. Anchored on a slow, pulsing 4-4 beat, lyrics speaking to the simple joys of life, it is a palate cleanser from the go-go Prince costumes and chocolate advertisements they'd all left behind them in the 60s. Pig was ultimately too unwieldy a group to stay together and soon morphed into Julie's backing band, with ex-tempter and former chocolate box rival Shoken dropping out of music business altogether for a few years. The remnants of Pig rebranded and regrouped as the Inoue Takayuki Band, who would accompany Julie well into the 70s, Sally's bass steady as ever, under Sawada's blazing hot stage presence. Julie's solo career is worthy of at least one episode just on its own. The highlights of the highlights can only give you a taste of how hugely popular he was through the 70s and 80s. His gorgeous second solo album, Julie 2, was recorded at famous Abbey Road Studios in London, and sounds like heaven itself etched the grooves into the vinyl. It cemented his place in the pop star hierarchy. No longer a teeny bopper icon, although still ranked in as one of the hottest guys in Japan as year for years to come. Julie and the Inoue Takeyuki band, they were it. They were in the lineup for the ambitious 1974 One Step Festival, the largest outdoor festival in Japan at the time alongside artists like Yoko Ono. And as a side note, this performance, along with some of the other performances from the One Step Festival, were just remastered and released on CD. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Um, okay, uh, Julie also appeared on the prestigious NHK New Year's Eve show that I've mentioned, you know, just about a billion times, Kohaku Utagasen, um, and he was on there about 20 times from 1972 to 1994, both with and without the Inoue Takeyuki band. Julie had number one hit after number one hit. His 1977 meta-lyrical mega-hit, Kate Nishiagare, was one of the biggest songs of the decade, swept every award that year, and is still a go-to song for karaoke and for cover versions, with Takarazuka top star Makase Suzuho even singing it live on national television in 2017. <laughs>
Times, a pop culture institution. He stayed on top of every trend, from the 50s retro, stripper, darling, to electronic, Tokyo, and he made them his own. Even as the 80s turned to the 90s, and our Jewel Julie was no longer ranking in on the hottest guy lists, he kept singing and performing, as he continues to do to this day, through scandal, through low sales, through everything. Salvador Kenji was, and is, a star. He even dabbled in acting, and non-Japanese-speaking fans who are curious can check out his work in the classic and super homoerotic, and more importantly, widely available and subtitled in English film, Mishima, based on the life and death of author Mishima Yukio, who, well, uh, just Google him. Sally, now going by his real name, Kishibe Itoku, made his acting debut in 1975 in a minor role in a television drama that starred Sawada. And it turns out that Kishibe was a natural on screen. One thing led to another, and he's been steadily working as an actor basically since then. Um, he starred in dramas, films. His filmography on Wikipedia is like miles long, way longer than his discography. And non-Japanese speaking fans who are curious can check him out in the film 13 Assassins, which I think is pretty widely available in English. And I believe 2006 Hula Girls is also fairly accessible with English subtitles, and Kishibe is also in that film. Taro and Shido were both active in the music business for a time, although neither really had the drive or temperament to be the frontman of a group. Shido notably worked with the Iwasawa brothers, known as folk duo Bread and Butter, um, and they released the very charming Wild Horse in 1971, which was written by one of the Iwasawas and produced and arranged by, you know, Kuni Kawachi. steadily as a solo act since the 70s. And although his record sales and songs never quite reached the popularity and heights of his old rival Sawada Kenji, he remains beloved by his devoted fan base and still tours and performs, well, I mean, not right now, but um, up, up until COVID, was still touring and performing. And hopefully I will um, get a chance to see him one day. And the Tigers, ironically, it is the most untigers of all the tiger songs, the haunting Hana no Kubikasari, which people remember most fondly today. It's been covered and covered again and covered even more over the years. 
before I leave you with a final song from the Tigers to round out this episode, I think it's important to highlight one thing here. What struck me while I was reading and researching the Tigers is just how deeply their career was impacted by women. Something I've said before, the foundation to understanding male idol groups is that male idol groups cater to women's tastes in a way that Western boy bands generally don't. And it was striking to see this borne out in the Tigers biography. Women's tastes are baked into the genre, at least in Japan. The Tigers would not have been the Tigers without first that initial push given by the outspoken president of the Osaka chapter of the Beatles fan club or the heavy influence of talent agent Watanabe Misa, Kiante Salon, hostess with the mostess, Kawazoe Kajiko, aka Tenten, or lyricist Yasui Kazumi, aka Zuzu. These three women, who were all in their 30s and 40s at the time, had a huge impact on the Tigers' sound, their style, and their career trajectory. Could a man have tapped into teenage girls' deepest desires the way these women did? I don't think so. The artistic decision these women made, their tastes. They live on in teen idol groups in Japan to this day. For better or worse, there would be no Cinderella Girl from King and Prince in 2018 without Sawada Kenji crooning Shubi My Love to a space princess in 1967. And on that note, I will play us out with a song from Sally and Shiro's understated 1970 album that I have no idea how to pronounce, but it's either Tora... Well, it's Tora 70619, and I'm not sure how that number or numbers would be or are. Is it, you know, 70,619? I don't know. Anyway, this is Donika Narusa, written by Monsieur Kamayatsu. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the Tigers saga, and hopefully um, I can uh, do more of these sort of vintage deep dives. Um, where there really just isn't all that much material available in English and um, bring some of this great music to the wider world. So that's all for me. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, bye! <laughs> よ、これからどうしよう。どうにかなるさ。見慣れた街の明かり。ゆくなとよぶ。けれども同じ暮らしに疲れて。どこかに行きたい街にも慣れたよ。それでも行くのか。どうにかなるさ。一年住んでりゃ見れんものこるよ。馬鹿だぜ。おいらはどうにかなるさ。愛。
た人も一人だよ。これなど忘れて幸せつかめよ。一人で俺ならどうにか。